meaningful effect on your life. Amen. Amen. Let us pray before we start our Bible study. Please stand. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are God and all by yourself. You are the great I am. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you. We adore you. We lift you up because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We look to you, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. And we thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us another day. You woke us up in our right mind and you gave us health and strength. And we are here, Lord, to give you honor and glory. Father, we pray that you'd forgive us for every sins that we have committed, Lord, knowingly and unknowingly. Father, we do things sometimes, and it's against your will. So we ask you tonight to forgive us, O oh God, and remove it from us so we can continue to praise you and to lift up your name. We thank you for each and every one that is gathered tonight to hear this Bible study, Lord, that you have sent here tonight. We thank you, Lord, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that whatever is imparted tonight would be beneficial to each and every one, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We pray for those on their way, Lord. Give them traveling mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight... um, in, in Actually, in our reading, and I've seen it from time to time, but particularly in our reading, I paid attention to the, uh, when it said somewhere in Revelation there, the doctrine of Baal. The doctrine of Baal. And I, I um, that is what I'm going to, um, the doctrine of B-A-L-A-A-M, Balaam. Balaam. And um, I'm going to give you a focus verse tonight, and it's Revelation 2.14. It says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. The name Balaam is mentioned in the Bible over 60 times. But in the new, um, both in the New and Old Testament, each time the name is mentioned, it is used in a negative way. It is used in Scripture to warn us about the dangers of following the, the footsteps. So in other words, whenever you see Balaam, it's always... Um, some negative um, connotation. The name Balaam means destroyer of the people. And we have a lot of of scripture that Balaam talks a little about Balaam. So let me tell you what is happening now. I'm just going to give you the setting. Um, It's back in the Old Testament again. Moses is leading the children... um, of Israel to the promised land. The first attempt, he led them, and just as they were about to enter the promised land, 
the enemy caused them to doubt God. They sent 12 spies over. Two came back with a good report. And 10, they, they doubted. Even though God gave them the land and they saw so much miracle, they doubted God because they saw some giants. They saw some, they saw, everything they saw was giant. They saw some giant fruits. They saw, you know, a lot of nice things. But they saw giants. And because of that, they doubted God. And God punished them. God allowed them to wander in the desert for 40 years. And those, that generation that doubted God, they died off. So here we are again now. After 40 years, God is ready to send them to the promised land. 40 years had passed and the Lord instructed them to go to the promised land, Canaan, the second time. Um, so, again, the enemy is about to attack them. He's not just going to, that goes for, not just them, for us. The enemy is not going to allow us to just, you know, um, serve God peacefully and just do God's will. So, the enemy is on the loose again. So here, on their way to the promised land, Israel defeated some of their enemies. They came into the territory of the Amorites. And the Amorites were really descendants from Noah. Uh, um, one of his sons by the name of Cana. So um, the Amorites came from that lineage. They defeated the Moabites and settled on the land before, you know, they settled on that little piece of land. So Israel, um, they were marching towards the promised land and they had to approach that land. So they didn't want any problem. They sent messengers to the Amorite king and said, you know, we just need to pass through your land. We're not here to do anything besides pass through. If we eat anything, drink any water, we're going to pay you for it. They didn't want that. So they, they came out to attack them, and Israel defeated them. The thing is, they were warlike. Israel didn't have that great of an army. It was a lot of people, but it wasn't that great of an army. So um, that in itself was a miracle. Israel went on. Um, there was a, a city called Bashan. And the king in charge of that city was Og. And he was also um, part of that group, the Amorites. They did the same thing there. They went to them. They wanted to pass, um, pass through their land. He didn't want it. He sent out his men to fight. So Israel defeated them also. So now Israel came to the land of Moab. And Balak, he was the king of the Moabites. He was petrified. You know, sometimes, I don't know if this happened to you, but <laughs> get yourself in some problems sometime. If, when you look, like, for me, I remember one time I was at school and I was sort of, um, I was on a higher place than this guy. So I couldn't see his height properly. And I was talking, you know, what you call it, junk talk. 
And then he came up and I saw him. <laughs> I had to do reverse junk talk. So, <laughs> so um, <clears throat> here now, they, they, they came up upon the Moabites. And the king of the Moabites, he was so afraid. He apparently was watching Israel from Israel left Egypt. And he knew all of what happened. He knew that Egypt, I mean, Israel, it, not, it wasn't because of their military might. It was really because the God that they served. Because they came across some enemies that would totally wipe them out. But if it wasn't for God, Egypt, for instance, they couldn't come out of Egypt if God didn't lead them out and had a strong hand in it. So he watched them. He knew. So he, he, the Moabites didn't have a strong army. So they didn't want to go up against Israel either. So what he did, he sent for Balaam. Because this was a spiritual battle now. He felt like he needed somebody who knew the God of Israel. So they could put a curse on the Israelites. That is what he wanted him for. He knew that the Israelites were blessed. And, as, and he, he or anybody else could not go up against them and win. So he sent for this man, Balaam, which he is a prophet for hire. So it's just like um, if you're having any problems and you, you, you need an attorney, you're going to go for the most. If you have the money, you're going for the most reputable one. So this one was reputable. He was like 350 miles back from them, way far. That took probably a month. But he wanted Balaam because his reputation was that anybody he cursed, they were cursed. And anybody he blessed, they were blessed. So, but the thing is, though, if Balak, he was fearful of Israel. If he had spoken to Moses, he would realize that they weren't camped against them. They had no nothing. Um, they had no quarrel with them. They weren't about to fight them or anything, because. Um, God explicitly told Moses in Deuteronomy 2.9 he said and the Lord said unto me distress not the Moabites neither contend with them in battle for I will not give you their land for a possession because I have AR unto the children of Lot for a possession AR there is supposed to be the metropolitan area of the uh, Moab there the Moabites are descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot. They are related. What Moab did, they knew the true and living God as well, because they were under Abraham. But they went their separate way and started serving their God, so they, you know, they had a different God. So that was the situation with them. And he didn't think to consult Moses. He just started fretting. And, and, you know, he wanted someone to fight against, to, to curse them, so he could fight them at that point. He was also worried that they would come in and eat up everything in the land. You know, just 
eat up everything. But at that time, the Israelites, they were still getting manna from, from heaven. They were still getting manna. They got manna all the way up until they actually entered the promised land and had the first crop going. Um, here it says in Joshua 5.12, And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. What this tells us is that as, as a child of God, you are blessed. You are blessed and nobody can curse you. Nobody can make a little image like you and stick it with a pin. And, and you know, each time they stick it, you get hurt. This is telling me, it lets me know that um, once you are in the will of God, you're doing the things um, that God lays down in his word that you are supposed to do, then you don't have to worry about anybody cursing you. Nobody can curse you. Only if we walk away from God's protection, then we will be vulnerable to the attack from the enemy. Deuteronomy 32, 36 says, See now that I, even I, am he. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So God is saying that once he has you in his hand, nobody, no cursor, no diviner, no, no, nobody can take you out of his hand. Another example, Job is an example of the protection God has around those who serve him. Remember when Satan presented himself before God, he had to ask permission. He couldn't just go and do what he wanted to do. And he, he even said, God put a hedge of protection around his people. Let me see it here. It says, uh, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? In the olden days, the hedge was when, when these people had their animals and they had to protect it, you know, overnight from predator animals. They would get some thorn bush, some big thorn. And just make a thick, um, like a, a wall around it. So these animals cannot get in. But the significance of the hedge is that no one can get to you. So it's saying here now that God makes a hedge of protection around his people. Amen? God had to give him permission. So Balak here now... He felt desperate. He couldn't go up against Israel because he knew that his, Israel's God fought for them. And he had to turn to someone now who knew about Israel's God so that um, they could put a curse on Israel. He's a prophet, but you can say he's a wayward prophet because he's not always doing the things that God wants. But he's hearing from God in some instance here. Balak knew immediately who the best person was for the job of cursing Israel. So 
he probably used him already. Or, you know, you hear he got his card or something. But he knew right away. In those days, obviously, you never have cell phones or anything like that. So when the caravan came in from wherever, um, news would spread. So everybody would hear about the, the great diviner, the great um, um, cursor, Balaam, Balaam. So he lived in Mesopotamia, and that was a good way off, 350 miles. But that is who he wanted, so he's going to send for that person. He lived during the time of Moses, and he was a prophet for hire. So right away you see that the two don't really go hand in hand. He's a prophet. But you have to pay him. He clearly heard from the Lord at times. But he was not fully committed. So the king of Moab, Balak, sent a team to persuade Balaam to come to the land of the Moabites to curse Israel. We see that in Numbers 22.7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of the Median departed with the reward of divination in their hand, and they came upon Balaam and spoke unto him the words of Balak. So they went with a fee. So they knew that, look, I'm, I'm going to entice him to come. This is, you know, they had a fee to give him. So when he heard what they were about, he invited them to come in, come in, lodge for the night. And he would seek God's will in prayer. Does that make sense? <laughs> he, right away, when he hears that this is to curse the children of Israel, there should be a reaction from him that, no, you know, he doesn't want them there. That cannot happen. Go back to where you're coming from. But he heard about the reward, and he's known for that. So he invited them in, and he's going to talk to God. All right. He should have told them no immediately. He did not have to seek God for an answer. There are some things that you know right away. It's not in the will of God. So don't even bother go to God and pray. Because, you know, you're you praying for God to um, hurt one of your brothers and sisters, one of God's children. You know, that, that's a no-no. Don't go to God about that kind of stuff. He knew that <clears throat> that was sin, but he was interested in the money more than anything else. Second uh, John 10, 11, it says, If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deed. So by inviting him in, knowing what he's all about, you are basically about to partake of the same thing that he's involved in. Um, I listened to a tape recently, and... There's a pastor that he pastors a, a small church, you know, getting a, a 
a little money, pastor in this church. So all of a sudden, he got an invitation to pastor this large church, and he's going to get a lot more money. So he came home excited, and he told his wife. So his wife said, okay, let's go upstairs and both of us pray. He said, no, I will go upstairs and pray. You go downstairs and pack. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he already made up his mind. So Baal, um, that's sort of the same thing because he knew God's will. He knew that he should have turned them back right away, but he didn't. He invited them in and said, let me talk to God like, you know, you are, you're the middleman and you can, um, you, you can slick talk, you know, just get God to make yeah, make a deal, right? His prayer um, was only formality and not to seek advice from God. So that was basically what was happening at that time. In another instance, let me tell you how Peter dealt with a situation that was almost similar. Acts 20, 18 to 23, it says, And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Simon was a sorcerer, and um, who was it now? Philip came in and, and, you know, taught him the word, and he got baptized. But none of them had the Holy Ghost yet. So they sent for Peter and John to come and preach the word to them. So, you know, then he, he saw Peter laying his hands on the people, and they got the Holy Ghost. So he wanted the Holy Ghost as well. He's saying, give me also the power that on whomever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. So here is Peter's answer to him. But Peter said unto him, thy money perisheth with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. This is how Peter answered this man. So God knew the heart of Balaam that he was, he was greedy. So that night, God came to him and told him, told him not to go with these people and he should not curse Israel because they are blessed. Um, Numbers 22, 12. God told him, came to him, told him he shouldn't go with them and he shouldn't um, curse the people because they are blessed. So in the morning, Balaam told the men that um, they should go back because God refused to allow him to go back with them. That is slightly different from what God told him, right? But if he tells them that, when they go back to their leader, their leader is going to have this question, and maybe if I put some more money there and send them back, then he would come with us. He didn't tell them exactly what God said. So he, sent, he told them to go back, and they went back to their leader. Balak sent, I mean, yeah, Balak, the, the Moabite king, sent another delegation 
um, a bigger delegation, more official, and more money, send that um, delegation back to convince him. This is exactly what he wanted. He's, he's, he's a, um, a negotiator. <laughs> Balaam told them that he cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, but they should stay for the night, and he will tell them what the Lord said. So again, he's saying one thing, but he's doing something else. He tells them um, he cannot do anything outside of what the Lord tells him, but stay overnight. Why would you tell them to stay overnight again? Because by doing that, you're encouraging them. So they stayed. God spoke to Balaam that night and told him he could go with the men if they came, but the words that he gave him, that only he should speak. Numbers 22.20. So here God is telling him, all right, go with them, but just tell them only what I told you. So he rose the morning and went with the princes of Moab, and God was angry with him because he went. Numbers 22.21. So this sounds... This sounds like God didn't make up his mind here. He told him to go, but when he went, the morning now, he was angry with him. The, 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 the fact is, God told him already. But he kept on like he was um, trying to persuade God. He knew God's will. God told him his will already, but he tried to persuade him. So he said, all right, go. Balaam was reckless. He was not thinking about the consequences of his action. God already told him not to go, but because God knew his heart and knows that only money is on his mind, and he would attempt to curse Israel even though God told him not to. God knows his heart. If whatever was on his heart, he knew that even though he told him not to curse him, he would go there and attempt to curse them. Deuteronomy 23, 5. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearten unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loves thee. So this is telling me, Deuteronomy 23, 5, is telling me that um, God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. So he, that was his, his intention. He went there, he, he left there the night, you know, claiming that he was going to just um, say what God wanted to say, but in fact, he was going to try and curse them, because that money kept stacking up. So he was, um, he was going to try and curse them. Because of this, God gave him over to his sinful desire. It's not that God changed his mind. He doesn't change his mind. Because that is the desire of his heart. And he kept on pressing him. You know, like he's trying to get him to change his mind. He said, go ahead. God, God's mind did not change. He only sent Balaam on a path to judgment. Step back and allowed him. And what happened to him? 
there's so much in this um, whole passage here. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to go over everything. But, but um, <laughs> um, the thing is, the God, the Bible said the angel of the Lord met him on the way. And the angel of the Lord was going to kill him. God opened the eyes of the donkey that he was riding on. And when the donkey saw the angel with the sword drawn, he went off fast. And Balaam was mad. So he hit the donkey. The angel of the Lord met him somewhere else in a narrow path. And the, the, the donkey saw the angel. So he again moved aside. And it happened that he crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he was mad. And he hit him again. The third time, he couldn't go to the right or to the left. So the donkey just went down on the ground. Balaam got mad and said, if I had a sword, I would kill you. You know? At some point, the angel um, opened Balaam's eyes so he could see what happened, what was really happening. And he realized at that point that the, um, the donkey was the one that protected him. You know, if the donkey had continued going, nothing would, um, God wouldn't destroy the donkey. God would have killed him. He was so blinded by his desire for the reward that he could not see what was ahead of him. Sometimes when we get things in our mind and this is what we want, not necessarily the will of God, we get so focused on it. We don't see anything, around, anything else around. And we just get so focused, we are going into danger and we are not even... Um, responding to what others who can see clearly telling us this is what was happening to him he was just headlong the money was there for the taking the angel of the Lord told him that his way was perverse contrary to what is the right or good contrary to what God wanted he willfully opposed um, the will of God. At that point, he half-heartedly um, repented. He repented in some kind of way, and then he said, "If if you want me to turn back, I'll turn back." You know, you know that this is not the will of God, and so many things happen. You would think he is convinced by now that he should just turn back and just forget the whole thing. But he said, if you want me to turn back, I'll turn back. If he really wanted to please God, he would have turned back without, you know, without even, once that happened, he would have turned back. He arrived in Moab, and the next morning, Balak took him to a point where he could see the entire Israel camp, so he could curse them. He, he went through the whole um, ritual because what he did, he built an altar, sacrificed a bull and, um, and a ram, and then he went off to pray to God, to get God's, um, to get a word from God. 
So when he came back, instead of cursing them, God caused him to bless them. Three times he did it. And he couldn't curse them. He blessed them each time. So Balak got mad. Numbers 24.10 says, And Balak's, Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemy, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak give me all the silver and gold in his place, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. So at that point, he left and he went back home. And Balak was, he was upset. He left and he went about his business. So, um, that money was still on Balak's, Balaam's mind. That money was still there. He wouldn't get the money without he performed the task. And Balak, he was still intimidated by the Israelites, even though they, they, they're not coming to, to do him anything. They were just gathering in order to um, go into the promised land. He was still intimidated. So, um, he came up with a different scheme. He couldn't curse them. He couldn't curse God's people. He knew that he couldn't curse God's people. But what he could do is to instruct Balak how to curse God's people. He could tell them how to, what they, how to seduce them, to, um, so they would curse themselves. So that is what he did. Numbers twenty-five, one to three. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifice. To their gods, the people ate the sacrifice, the sacrificial meal, and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. So he couldn't, he couldn't curse them himself because they were blessed. So he, the Bible doesn't tell you that he actually tell you that he went back but it tells you that he um, taught Balak how to um, how to present himself how to be a stumbling block before the children of Israel Numbers 31 14 to 16 says and Moses was wroth with the officers of the host with the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds which came from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel, through the counsel of Balaam, to commit trespass against the Lord 
in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So what really happened? When, um, when, they, when they did all of this, God caused a plague. And it killed 24,000 of them. So he didn't get to curse them. But he told Balak how to get them to curse themselves. So that they, he, he pried them out of God's hand at that point. Because they cursed themselves, you know. So the first time they tried to go in Israel, the enemy attacked put doubt in their mind so they couldn't they didn't go. The second time um, here is what happened. The Moabites, their relative they they um enticed them to, to sin so that they were outside of the will of God. The Moabites hired a greedy prophet to curse Israel. But each time he spoke, God turned it into blessing instead of curse. Balaam realized that he could not curse Israel, so he taught the Moabite king how to make Israel curse themselves by using the Moabite woman to seduce them. It was a plot. They got the young Moabite woman to, you know, talk to them, bring them in the temple, and once that happened, they were outside of God's will. Any questions so far? As children of God, we are blessed and we cannot be cursed. That is, that is something I learned from this. As children of God, we are blessed and we cannot be cursed. Nobody can curse us. Only we can take ourselves out of the, the, the blessing of God. God will not allow anyone to curse us. Balaam tried it, and each time blessing came from his mouth instead of curse. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee. Because the Lord thy God loved thee. This is what Moses was telling the, the Israelites. Just relating it back to them. We have been assured of God's love and protection. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So, again, once you're in the hand of God, you're safe, you're protected. There's a scripture that says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You're protected when you're in the hands of God. So the doctrine of Balaam promotes greed. He was greedy. He was all about money. He willingly used the talent God gave him to profit from false teaching. It is the willingness to use the talent God gives us to cause others to stumble and lead them away from Christ. So the Bible talks about a stumbling block. 
what really happened is he taught the king how to um, get the Israelite to sin. So he caused a whole lot of Israelites to sin against God and present a stumbling block to them. So that's, that's the reason why um, the doctrine of, of Balaam is talked about that way in the Bible. It's, it's, it's always talked about with a negative connotation, and God is against it. As we see in Revelation 2.14, it says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Amen? Any questions? Any comments? <laughs> Take your time. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay, so we have a, we are out a few minutes early. All right, so let us pray in dismissal. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, O God, for the lesson we heard tonight. We thank you for all that it taught us, Lord Jesus. Help us so that Whatever you give us, we will use it to profit the kingdom of God. We will use it, Lord Jesus, knowing that you gave it to us and you gave it to us freely. Father, I pray your blessing upon each and every one of us tonight. I pray that you would take us to our respective destinations safely and bring us back to worship you again another time. Bless our families and keep us in the name of Jesus.